You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packer Night Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I duffly apologize for yesterday. Just one of those things, man. You wake up, and you look at the alarm clock, and then you say, all right, you go back and close your eyes. Then your brain wakes up a little bit and realizes you have about 20 minutes to get up, get ready, and get to work. And you frantically jump up and start rushing to work. Couldn't really squeeze in much by way of a podcast yesterday. However, don't worry, I got your back today. And um, what I decided we would talk about, and hopefully it takes up the entirety of the time, I'm sure it will. But I want to look at some of the lesser known guys. Because I had gotten a question, I've actually had a few people point them out, but the, the most pertinent to what we're doing today is, are we overlooking Chandon Sullivan? Then you tie in the fact that we just uh, signed, re-signed Tyler Irvin. And I figure, you know what, let's look at some of these guys that that we just don't talk about, right? We talk about, well, we've got, you know, this guy and this guy, and then what, you know, maybe we've got to draft somebody else. We we only look, you know, defensive line, who's our defensive line? Kenny Clark. Anyone else? No, pretty much just Kenny Kenny Clark, that's about it. And and to be completely honest, if that is all this team is, and we're just going to write off every draft pick that hasn't already gone off in the last two years, this team's in a lot of trouble. So we kind of need somebody to step up a little bit, whether it's some stud undrafted free agent or some free agent pickup that we just hit on, Tyler Irvin, or whatever. The bottom line is you can't, as much as we want to be either draft purists or the opposite end of it, these guys who think that free agency solves everything, Neither of those really work if we're just talking about the first two rounds and free agency. You've got to be able to hit later rounds, undrafted free agents, and then those guys throughout the season that you pick up and plug in in order to round out a full team because otherwise the numbers are just working against you because we're talking about, you know, especially if you're spending every year. We saw what happens when you spend a lot one year compared to the next year. And, you know, the more you do that every year, you just have less and less to spend. So you got to cool it with free agency a little bit. Unless your team is just trash, and then it doesn't really matter. You're always going to have a lot of money, because you just cut everybody because nobody's any good. Separate discussion, because the Packers aren't trash. But it is an important part of it, and I, I do think it's an underrated aspect that Ted Thompson never got enough credit for. Now, granted, whenever we hit on an undrafted free agent, um, 
particularly a defensive back, he became a stud and then we cut him. So that was the one thing that I wish we didn't do so much because, man, oh, man, did we hit a lot of DBs in undrafted free agency. But also the later round, the Mike Daniels, the David Bakhtiaris, he was just he was very good at that. And even some guys that weren't as good as those guys, but still decent enough role players that you kind of feel like, eh, it's a thing. You know, the Jake Ryans and Blake Martinez's. I know Blake fell off entirely this past year, but for several years, he was decent enough. And Jake Ryan as well had at least, what, one good year? One bad year, then one good year, and then he was gone, more or less. So let's let's poke around, because nothing stays the same. If you've been listening a while, we've talked about probably dozens, maybe hundreds of guys where we just go back and look at their history. And that's the fun thing about PFF. You just look at a guy's history, and the the the... The path to where they are is everybody has their own unique, like, it's like a fingerprint. There's some general categories, right? Guys that start off hot and then fall off because whatever, people just figure them out. Some guys are just dominant when they start, and then they always are, which is what we just kind of figure everybody is. But those are very rare people. Like, you know, one in a hundred, one in five hundred, I don't know. Very rare. Then you have, you know, takes them two years, takes them three years, takes them five years. And you got, you know, the good year, bad year, good year, bad year, whatever. All different kinds of things. But when we're talking about people that have only had two years, is it possible that maybe they don't just stay where they're at? They change. They get a little bit better. Maybe. So that's what we're looking at today. And in particular, uh, Tyler Irvin, which we've already talked about, but we'll talk about again. And then um, really hit on Chandon Sullivan. Because I'll be honest, um, I think the question, are we overlooking Chandon Sullivan, is a very, very good question. Because I tend to think the answer is yes. But we'll, we'll get more in-depth on that. Anyways, if you're enjoying the show, you're going to really love the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. So make sure you get in there. Join that community. Good group of folks. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I'm trying to get into the habit of t- putting all new news and everything on the page first and then just sharing it around. Which means if you want news about 8 seconds faster, Facebook page. It's all about speed in 2020, man. You can't just sit and watch the news to find stuff out. you got to get on Twitter and see it, because that's, you know, again, about 15 seconds faster. Where do you think the news people got it from? Also, we've only got a couple days left in March. We are doing a giveaway. I've given up on the prospect of reaching my goal, although let me reiterate it. We are currently at 108 patrons. If we get to 125, which would be a massive jump, however, I can see how many people are listening to this. We need 17 people out there that would be willing to give a dollar. If we can do that, in the next couple days, I will be giving away a pro football focused subscription. If not, I will be giving away a draft guide. I don't know which. I'll figure it out. I'll try to figure out which ones are... Maybe I'll take a poll in the Facebook group or something. I don't know. Again, get in the Facebook group. Either way, it's all good. Uh, The plan is to do giveaways every single month. I am curious to see. I'm kind of suspecting that with all the madness going on there's going to be a massive drop off in patrons after this month but we'll see if not we will do another giveaway next month think it over otherwise leaving a five-star itunes rating and review or apple podcasts i believe it's called now i don't care i'm not an apple person otherwise stitcher or anywhere else you can find a way to uh, let the people know that you enjoy the podcast would be appreciated why don't we take a break and we'll come back and talk about some stuff
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Folks, I just want to tell you once again about Simply Safe Home Security. You know that thing I've been talking about where cops show up 350% faster because rather than just a loud, annoying sound, there's actual video evidence of what's going on in your home. So when the neighborhood creeper is creeping in your window, the cops can see him and they're like, dude, that's Frank. I, I noticed that the way he walks. He even walks like a freak. We got to get over there because he is weird. We got about 18 minutes. Because he is going to make himself a ham sandwich, and then he starts licking people. So we got to get over. I mean, it's they get there fast. Beyond keeping you safe from the freaks and the creepers, you're going to get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras, entry motion glass break sensors to guard the inside of your home. No sneaking in through the windows. That's how the creepers like to, that's how they do it. Plus, Simply Safe is going to protect you from uh, fires, water damage, carbon monoxide, any potential threat to you and your family, Simply Safe has got you covered. And the best part of all, 50 cents a day, 15 bucks a month, basically the price of Netflix. You got wall to wall, window to window, floor to ceiling coverage of your home, protecting the most important thing you and your family. Mostly you, but also while you're at it, make sure your kids are all right. So right now, why don't you visit simplysafe.com/overtime? You're going to get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got absolutely nothing to lose. Go now. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com/overtime so you know that they were sent from this show. That's simplysafe.com/overtime. Where or where to start? That is the question. I feel like you should save the best for last, but at the same time, let's just let's just do this thing. Especially since I always feel like everything's going to take five minutes and then it takes five hours and then we don't have time to actually get to the thing that I really wanted to talk about. So let's start with Mr. Chandon Sullivan. I was going to do like a, a wrestling intro and I realized my whole family's sleeping, so I, I, I went with something else. I don't know what that was and I'm sorry. So the great thing about Chandon Sullivan, if you just take the Packers and their, their PFF grades, there's some guys that have really high grades. The problem is they don't have hardly any time on the field. Like Kadar Holman was technically, and I don't want you to freak out, but listen to me for a second, the second highest graded defender on the entire team. He was actually tied with Kenny Clark for the second highest grade of anybody. However, he played one game, he played four snaps. Also, I tend to, I understand there have been instances in which coaches have made dumb decisions, right? Guys that should be on the field, but no, he's, we're going to sit him because he doesn't know what he's doing. There are also, you know, like guys like Jace, where it's like, come on, man, he looks good. Put him out there. And they're like, nah, he's just not ready. Or like Rashawn, where it's like, he, when he's out there, he seems to be doing good stuff. Why don't you put him out there? So you trust the fact that they're looking at him going, he doesn't know what he's doing out there. And I, I, you know, no, right. He, he made a great play and that's cool. He does. He has no idea how to play in this defense. So I'm going to trust that there was an element of them saying, look, I know that play was cool, but he doesn't know what he's doing. But, I mean, that's that's cool. Now, it's something that you don't want to freak out about because, again, if he if he legitimately showed signs of being one of the best corners in all of football, which his PFF grade would put him in, let's let's just look at what it is. Might as well, I guess we're starting with Kadar. Sorry, change of plans. If, if you take his grade and pretend it was a full year and then put him with the corners because PFF has this weird thing where if you ever play safety, they call you a safety. 
It's the most annoying thing ever. He played four snaps. Three of them were out wide. One of them was in the box, and they labeled him a safety. I don't understand why they do that. But anyways, a 79.5 would be the ninth highest grade of any corner in football, just to give you some perspective on how good that really is. But again, you know, it's it's the best-case scenario where if, if you play four snaps, you want him to be able to do stuff, and he did. He played three snaps in coverage. He was targeted once, zero receptions, 39.6 overall coverage grade. However, let's try to keep in mind, he's a sixth-round pick, and they never put him on the field. Despite there being opportunities for him to be at least somewhat rotational, they never put him on the field. But Kadar is one of those options. And you know how I feel about sixth-round picks, so I, if I were to put money down right now, he's never going to be a, a really good contributor. I'll, I'll, I'll put money down for an undrafted free agent over a sixth-round pick. That's how crazy I am. If you were to rank them, and I, I, did a, I did a show on this, it's first, second, then third, depending on position, but in general, that's, that's the order of whether or not they're going to be a good football player. Then probably fourth, then undrafted free agent, then fifth, and then after that, it just it doesn't matter. You might as well just quit. The amount of undrafted, I mean, it's, it, undrafted free agents are, are, and granted, the problem is there's a lot of them, but even so, they're actually up there with about second round. If you just look at the best players in football, the amount of undrafted free agents is unbelievable. I won't go back down that rabbit hole because, again, I've already done a show on that. But if you want more information, I'll try to dig it out and figure out what I found because I don't remember the exact numbers. Actually, you know what? I found it. Let's do a little refresher, shall we? Just just run through it real quick. We'll do position by position. Quarterbacks. First round, otherwise it doesn't matter. We're looking at top 32 quarterbacks. Almost every single one of them is a first-round pick. Wide receivers. First three rounds. Second round is the, the best round for wide receiver. But first three rounds, otherwise you're wasting your time. To give you perspective on what I'm talking about, 28 of the top 32 wide receivers in football are the first three rounds. Zero are first, first, or fourth, sixth, or seventh. There are three fifth-round picks and one undrafted free agent. Running backs, first three rounds are the best. Uh, fourth through seventh, there's options, but not as many. And then undrafted free agents are within the same as the first, second, and third round. So first, second, third, and undrafted free agent. After that, fourth through seventh, you might as well, it doesn't really make a difference. Tight ends, mostly first three rounds, slightly lower chance in four, five, and six. Nobody in the seventh round. By the way, six undrafted free agents, which is the same as first, second, and third. So so again, another position where first round, second round, third round, and undrafted free agent are your best chance of finding someone. Seventh round is a waste of time. Fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe, but probably not going to find anyone. Tackle, first round. You got a chance in the second round, and then it just falls off third, fourth, and fifth. And then there are zero sixth or seventh round uh, anywhere. By the way, undrafted free agency, there are more undrafted free agents in the top 32 than there are second round picks. So in order, first round, then undrafted free agent, then second round, then third, fourth, fifth, and then you're done. Don't even bother in the sixth or seventh round. Guards, again, first, second, third. After that, fourth and undrafted free agent. And then you've got a real slim chance, but there's some chance in the 5th, 6th, and 7th. There's one fifth, one seventh, and those 6th round picks. So there's two in those last three rounds. Centers are kind of like running backs. that you, you get them anywhere. There's almost no difference between any of these. The first two rounds are a little bit higher, but after that, it just doesn't matter. I mean, there's five 6th round centers that are in the top 32. If you look at the top 10 centers, because I broke it down that way as well, three in the first round, one in the second, one in the third, two in the fourth, one in the fifth, two in the sixth. And then no sevenths and no undrafted free agent. And by the time this thing is done, top 32, there's four undrafted free agents. So centers, it kind of just doesn't matter. You get them where you get them. Defensive tackle, as I said, first round is definitely the money round. After that, you've got second, third, 
fourth, fifth, and undrafted free agents basically exactly equal. And then sixth and seventh is a waste, just like always. But first round is a absolute money round for first round draft for uh, defensive tackles. Edge rusher, obviously first round is huge. Second round would be, it's about half as effective, but it's still much bigger than any of the other. Then third and fourth, you got some options after that. It's a waste of time. Beyond the fourth round, don't bother. That includes undrafted free agency. Linebacker, as I've said before, second round is the only round that matters. In the top 32, 11 of them are second round picks. Three of them are first round picks. Three of them are third round picks. Three of them are fourth round picks. Four of them are fifth round picks. Two are in the sixth, one is in the seventh, and three are undrafted free agents. So second round is the money round. First, third, fourth, fifth, and undrafted free agents, eh, sixth and seventh, eh. Corners are huge in the first round. The second best place to find corners, which probably explains Ted Thompson's ability to find uh, corners in undrafted free agency, is undrafted free agency. Nine of the top 32 undrafted free um, nine of the top 32 corners are undrafted free agents. Twelve are first round picks. Only three are second round picks. If you look at the top 20, it's even more pronounced. Eight are undrafted free agents. Only six are first-round picks. Of the top ten, four are undrafted free agents. Three are first-round picks. One second, one third, one fifth. That's it. Undrafted free agency is a money place to find corners. Pretty similar for safeties as well. First round is the best. Beyond that, it kind of just doesn't matter. Three in the second, six in the third, two in the fourth, two in the fifth, three in the sixth, two in the seventh, five undrafted free agents. So safeties, it kind of just doesn't matter. So I, again, I, that went a little bit longer than I thought it would, but whatever. I just want to reiterate that because we have guys on this team that we probably just want to write off, especially me, because, you know, I, I get very caught up in, eh, they're, they're not first, second, or third round picks, so what do we care? But again, looking at Kadar Holman, do I think he's going to be a stud? No. However, three of the top 32 corners in all of the NFL right now are sixth round picks. It's not impossible. But that brings us to Mr. Chandon Sullivan. And the, the great thing about Chandon Sullivan, you know, Kadar played four snaps. Chandon Sullivan played a legitimate amount. He wasn't a starter, but we're talking 378 snaps. If you remove Kadar Holman, he was the uh, fourth highest graded player on defense. He was ahead of Tremont. He was ahead of Jair. He was ahead of Darnell Savage. He was ahead of Kevin King, Tony Brown, Raven Green, Josh Jackson, Ibrahim Campbell, everybody. He was the second highest graded DB behind Adrian Amos, again, if you remove Kadar Holman, which I'm going to. Now, it wasn't as big of a sample size, but I think when you play 378 snaps, when you're in coverage 263 times, that's a pretty decent sample size. And so just looking at Chandon here, and again, he let's look at his snap counts first, because he's another one that's labeled as a safety. If you include special teams, uh, Chandon played 601 total snaps. 223 of those were on special teams. 378 on defense. Now, if you look at where he played, he does sort of fit that role of a safety a little bit more. This isn't a situation where he played uh, corner, and this is just a bad diagnosis. The the number one area that he played actually kind of answers a question we've been asking, which is why the question, are we overlooking Chandon Sullivan, makes a lot of sense. He played in the slot. That was his top spot was in the slot. Second most prominent was in the box. So you could kind of see him as a, a hybrid safety where he is sort of that in-the-box linebacker slash slot corner. Now, granted, he wasn't very good as as a uh, run defender, which is problematic. But at the very least, if we just forget that whole thing and just say, why don't we just try to make him the new Tremont, Chandon Sullivan is 23 years old. Undrafted free agent, but again, that doesn't scare me for corners. That is the, you know, second most promising place to find a corner behind first-round picks. 
And if you're talking, again, top 20, it's even more likely you find an undrafted free agent than you will a first-round pick. But beyond that, he also played free safety 73 times. Uh, He played up close along the defensive line eight times. He was probably blitzing on those. He played out wide 43 times. So he's a versatile piece. So again, very, very young. 5'11", 194, 4'6", speed. He's he's fine across the board. No real red flags like 4'7", or any of that stuff. If you look at him in coverage, because that's the biggest thing, he was targeted 36 times, only 15 of those were caught, which is a 41.7 reception percentage, which is very low. The total on that was 154 yards. His worst game in, to- in terms of yardage was Week 5 against Dallas. Two targets, two receptions for 38 yards. But he had a pick in that game. No touchdowns, one pick. So if that's his worst game, please give me more of that. He gave up zero touchdowns all year. He had one interception and two pass breakups. In total, 36 targets, 15 receptions, 154 yards. Only 10.3 yards per reception is relatively low. The lo- the the deepest pass caught against Chandon was 25 yards. Zero touchdowns, one pick, two pass breakups, a passer rating of 43.1. To me, this is a perfect example of what the Packers have always done. They've got a stud undrafted free agent that they don't trust because he's an undrafted free agent. Now, I, that's somewhat unfair because we've got three guys. He's not going to replace Kevin King. He's not going to replace Tremont, and he's not going to replace Jair. But this is one of those situations where if we see Kadar go in and not play well and Chandon sitting on the bench, I'm not happy about that. Because that's exactly what Mike McCarthy and Dom Capers would do. He'd go out for two plays, he would dominate, they'd sit him, put Demarius back in, and then they'd get a touchdown on Demarius. So I'm not I'm not saying I know this guy is absolutely a stud, but he played like a starting caliber corner. And again, these are star these are starter snaps. You know, you look at Chicago, he played forty snaps in coverage, fifty three total. Forty in coverage. He was targeted five times, only one was caught for six yards. And and and, and again, there's really nothing to look at here and say this guy's no good. He played one year prior to this in Philadelphia. He graded out terribly. But he only played 89 snaps total, 47 in coverage, 7 targets, all 7 were caught for 137 yards. Just a, a terrible showing. But he came to Green Bay and he just he figured it out, man. He absolutely laid it all on the line. And again, he didn't play as many snaps as, as Tremont and Jair and all that, but he played better than all of them. He was the highest graded corner of anybody on the Green Bay Packers. And again, I'm calling him a corner because that's what I think he was. And so I, you know, I don't know about you. I'm excited about Chandon. I think he's going to have. If if you had to tell me to pick somebody who's going to have a breakout year, and I don't even know if it would necessarily be a breakout because he kind of broke out already last year. Nobody just nobody nobody even noticed it. But I think in terms of a prominent figure, I I tend to think at this point, looking at how well Chandon did, looking at the fact that he played primarily out of the slot, I think Tremont is going to be gone. I think. Chandon is going to take that spot, and I think he's going to do a fairly good job, and uh, I think we're going to get excited about it. And again, this is a 23-year-old dude. 23-year-old Chandon, 23-year-old Jair, 24-year-old Kevin King. That's our cornerback group. That's crazy to me. Now, how long King stays on the team, I don't know. That's a separate conversation for a separate day. Let's continue on with the defense here and look at Mr. Kingsley Kiki. Now, I think in general, the, the consensus is he did a terrible job, and we're not happy about it. He certainly didn't get a lot of playing time, and there was a lot of opportunities to, because really, outside of Kenny Clark, there's nobody there that is so good you can't sit him for a minute. But overall, Kingsley did play 107 snaps, which is not super small. The biggest disappointment was the fact that he had 56 attempts to get to the quarterback, and only once he generated a pressure. That is unbelievably, terribly low. However, he did grade out fairly well against the run and as a tackler. 
In fact, the run as far as run defense grades, Kingsley, Kingsley Kiki was the fifth highest graded behind Tony Brown, who didn't play very much. Zadarius was number two on the team. Ibrahim, who, you know, we don't need to put on this list. And Amos. That's it. Tackling grade, Kingsley Kiki was six. So we definitely need him to do better getting to the quarterback. That's not debatable. But it's sort of promising. Do I expect him to be the next Kenny Clark? No. All we need is for him to step up and be a competent football player. And when his overall grade in his rookie year was a 65.5, there's a glaring issue with his ability to get to the quarterback. But outside of that, that's not the worst. And again, 23 years old, a fifth-round pick. But, you know, honestly, if you look at the top 32, number one, round one is the most important. After that, the next highest amount of top 32 defensive tackles came from the fifth round and undrafted free agency. There are five top 32 defensive tackles that are fifth-round pick. So as much as I want to write it off and be like, eh, probably not very likely that he becomes anything, there are two fifth-round picks that are top five defensive tackles in the NFL right now. That's as high as, as first-round picks. So not impossible. And for some of you, I'm probably banging this into your head unnecessarily because you don't care what round guys are taken in, but I do, and I know a lot of other people do. So I'm doing it for myself and people like me that need to hear this. Now he's a fifth-round pick. He didn't do well in his first year. He's a bust. we got to find somebody else quickly. Eh, maybe. Again, this is pretty pathetic to only get to the quarterback once in 56 attempts, but, you know, give him a little time to develop. He's got some tools, and he's already a stud against the run. Looking at uh, some more of his stats, he had nine tackles, four assisted tackles, zero missed tackles. Five of his tackles were stops, which are, you know, quality tackles as opposed to chasing somebody down from behind. So, again, you know, stopping somebody less than four yards on first down short of a first down on third and fourth down, etc., etc. So I don't know if it was the worst outing ever. Obviously, pass rush is the most important thing that people care about. Beyond that, the other thing, as much as it kind of his, his grades fluctuated, his best game was also a game in which he played one of the most snaps that he played all year, and that was the last game the Packers played against San Francisco. Now, they didn't one time ask him to rush the passer, which is telling, but he went out on the field 10 times to stop the run. Now, granted, San Francisco hardly ever passed, so I guess that kind of that, that checks out. But for a team that could not stop the run to save their lives, where everybody graded out poorly against the run, this was his best game against the run. His overall grade in this game was an 81. Now, it's just 10 snaps, but that's a good thing to see. When the team trusts you enough that when the chips are down and nobody can seem to do anything against the run, we're going to put Kingsley out there, which he hadn't played this many snaps since week 13 against the Giants, but we're going to kind of put it on him 10 times to go out there, and he, he plays to that level in such a crucial and pivotal game, getting three tackles, which is a third of his entire tackle total for the year, and two stops, which is almost half. It's somewhat promising. Am I putting money on him being a stud? No, but should we we be writing him off? Of course not. Uh, Josh Jackson, we already kind of did a whole thing on him. The best part about Josh Jackson is that his best two games came the last two times he played, week 13 and 14. He actually played really well. And those are his best two games all year. So the question is, can he step up and be that guy? Can he also be in the slot? Which also speaks not very well for Tremont Williams. Because we have, you know, we've got Kadar waiting in the wings, but we also have Chandon Sullivan and Josh Jackson that maybe can take... I I just don't see any way in which Tremont gets re-signed. And I I have been consistently one of the biggest Tremont backers for a long time. But just looking at the Packers and the way they operate, and I think what the responsible thing to do is not paying money when you already have these options. Even if you don't fully trust them, it's time to move on. So anyways, that's that's Josh Jackson. There is reason to be optimistic. 
And you also have the fact that he's a second-round pick and was widely considered to be a first-round pick. So the the upside for Josh Jackson is massive. That's the other thing. I don't know why exactly it took so long to turn a corner if, in fact, he did turn a corner. My theory, and the one thing that drives me nuts, is they keep moving him around. I feel like Josh Jackson belongs on the boundary. Just leave him out there. They keep putting him in the slot, putting him on the box, putting him out as a safety. It's like, just let him sit there and learn. Also, also, we have a new defensive backs coach. Let's see how that goes. Then there's uh, Tyler Lancaster. I actually was really excited about Tyler because he had such a great 2018 season, but that all kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, Tyler Lancaster is an undrafted free agent, and he looked a little bit more like an undrafted free agent this year. So, you know, as much as it was exciting to have what we thought was going to be Mike Daniels and Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark and this Tyler Lancaster kid who just came in and tore it up, now we're looking at Dean who has more subpar years than good years and Tyler Lancaster who maybe was somewhat of a fluke in his rookie year and I don't know exactly what else it's when you kind of want to lean on the Kingsley Kikis to kind of step up because the fact that Tyler Lancaster was the de facto starter you know as far as three defensive tackles it was Lowry and Kevin Kenny Clark and Tyler Lancaster so I mean on the positive side he still showed some great flashes in terms of his ability to stop the run. The The bigger issue is he would go so many stretches. I mean, from week 9 against the Chargers to week 13 against the Giants, which was a terrible stretch for the Packers in general. You had the Chargers, Panthers, 49ers, and Giants, which we won a couple of those games, but they were some of the uglier games, especially on the ground, San Francisco and the Chargers. And this guy, who was supposed to be our one of our best run defenders, just was terrible in that four-game stretch. And then the final four games, Minnesota, Detroit, Seattle, San Francisco, equally as bad of a four-game stretch. He was abysmal against the 49ers, which, again, these are the situations you have a Tyler Lancaster. These are the situations you have a guy like this. We don't expect you to be able to get to the quarterback, which he can't. We need you to man up and stop the run. And we need you especially against the 49ers, which he played terribly both games. We need you against the Chargers. He played terribly. We need you against Minnesota. He was terrible, at least in that second outing. We need you to stop the run against teams like Seattle. He was not good against Seattle. Right? He showed up against Chicago, which who cares? He showed up against Washington, who cares? He played great against Kansas City, who likes to throw the ball. Played great against Denver, which that that's pretty important, actually. It was actually his best game. But the point is, wildly inconsistent and actually ended the year with a lot more bad games than good games and overall not very good. He has it. It's in there somewhere. It's not as consistent as you'd like, and it's a big part of the reason why we need, again, guys like Kingsley Kiki to hopefully step up because I don't genuinely think that this is going to be a good long-term solution, uh, Tyler Lancaster. I hope so. Again, rookie year, he was great, but, um, you know, tend to think it might have been a little fluky. There's Mr. Rashan, who obviously we talked about a lot throughout the year. Um, I mentioned how his snaps actually started to go down as the year went on. I mean, it's possible there was some kind of an injury thing going on, but it it just seems to me like they kind of lost faith in him, which is not what you want to see. But again, the upside for a guy like Rashawn, the fact that he's learning a new position and they're kind of babying him through this, you know, we show him one thing, get him to perfect that, then we move him on to the next thing. He also has never had an offseason to prepare for this. Right, that's one of the bigger things that I look at. It's why you get guys that are like, get that second-year leap, because when you just come out of college and then you show up, you show up as you are. And then we say, okay, here's what we need you to do. And then when you get past that first season, now you get the trainers and everybody else saying, look, these, this is the kind of training I need you to do. This is the kind of, you know, how I'd like your body to look. We need you to bulk up. We need you to slim down. We need you to do this kind of training. And also learning the book and all this other stuff so that when you show up next year, you're a little bit more at the guy we need you to be. 
But overall, obviously, early first-round pick, freakish athleticism. So the ceiling for him is ridiculous. Um, his his pressures weren't bad. Again, 10% is that, that where I draw the line. If you're below 10%, you're not very good. If you're above 10%, that's good enough. He had 16 pressures on 100, 152 attempts, which is above 10%. He had three sacks, three hits, and 10 hurries. So I feel like when he was out there, he did a decent enough job. Now, people are upset because he didn't have a billion sacks, but he wasn't on the field very much. To put that a little bit into perspective, Zadarius Smith rushed the passer 594 times. That's about four times as many attempts to get to the quarterback. If you give Rashawn Gary that amount of attempts and extrapolate that out over his three sacks, he ends this season with roughly 12 sacks. So for everybody hating on Rashawn Gary, and there's no question he's raw, there's no question he needs some refinement, but you're telling me that if he had a full load and rushed the passer as much as Zadarius and can kept this consistent amount of, of sacks, if he ends the year with 12 sacks, people aren't talking about him as a freak. The bigger issue is the fact that he didn't get a lot of opportunities, and he didn't get a lot of opportunities because he doesn't fully understand what he's doing out there yet. But it's, it's all there. Give the man some time. I don't know what he's going to be. Maybe he is going to be a bust. I don't know. Give the man some time. Again, based on his number of sacks, he was roughly at about a 12-sack season. That's not a bad year for anybody. If we look at Mr. Will Redmond, um, I think one of the things that's lost, at least it lost on me, is Will Redmond was actually a third-round pick by the 49ers. Um, when I think about Will Redmond, I typically think of a undrafted free agent because he's just kind of one of those guys. He's a backup, and we just have a billion undrafted free agent DBs, so that was just my assumption. He's a third-round pick. Um, he did not have a great year with the Green Bay Packers. It was definitely a down year compared to 2018, although 2018 wasn't exactly stellar either. And Will Redmond, for the record, is definitively a safety. I'm sure you already knew that. He did play a little bit of corner, 12 snaps out wide, 39 in the slot, but 109 of his 297 snaps were in the box, which is just a designation that PFF uses for essentially linebackers as well as strong safeties. Now, here's kind of the, the question. Will Redmond... If he has any strengths, it's his ability to play against the run as well as tackling. Now, it depends what year. In 2018, he was a freakishly good tackler. 2019, not as much, but he was really pretty solid against the run. It would make sense, although it doesn't make me super comfortable, that the alignment, depending on obviously what the offense is showing, is you would have your safeties as Savage and Amos. You would have your linebackers as um, Kirksey and probably Redmond as your safety slash linebacker. And then you would have, you know, King, Jair, and Chandon in the slot. Again, this is just, it depends on alignment and all that. But that, that would be sort of the arrangement. Now the question is, how do we feel about Will Redmond in that spot? Because everything else is pretty well locked up. we got to see what happens in the draft. You know I'm not a huge fan of our current linebacker. But everything else is pretty well established. The question is, is Will Redmond going to be that guy? And it kind of seems like he will. Josh Jones is another option, obviously, but he is that guy right now. Now, so his, his overall grade, I'll just tell you, was a 50, which is not good. So 60 is average, 50, as I call it, is below average. He was at the bottom of below average, bordering on just bad. He ended the season with 22 tackles, three assisted tackles, eight missed tackles, which is very high, which is why his tackling grade plummeted this year. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I want to be positive. He showed some pretty good stuff in 2018. He's a third-round pick. You'd like to be able to give the guy a shot. However, looking at this season, I, I just feel like the middle of that field from linebacker slash, because that's, that's the other thing we don't talk about when we talk about linebacker, strong safety. 
in these alignments, because, you know, you listen to people, we only use one linebacker. Well, that's true in terms of actual physical designation of linebacker. But if there is a second guy, it's usually a safety. Getting a really solid, and I know we've swung and a miss at this, but if you want to make me feel good about having Christian Kirksey go into the season, which I'm just not going to do, get a really solid, kind of like what Josh Jones was supposed to, to be, get, get a guy like that. So Kirksey can be the, and everybody wants to talk about his athleticism. He's a run defender, that's it. He is terrible against in coverage. Go get a guy similar to what Josh Jones was supposed to be, a, a, a rocket who can cover and just knock people's heads off. A big physical safety that has some ability to cover, which is what Josh Jones never had. That would make me feel much more comfortable about what we're doing with Christian Kirksey. In other words, what I'm saying is, as much as I want to give Will Redmond the benefit of the doubt, I would like to see a replacement for a number three safety. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. If we use single high, obviously we could put Darnell in that spot. We could put Amos in that spot, and we know they can handle it. But I would like to see a number three safety. And, and, and part of that is we don't have to invest a lot in it because it is our number three safety. But if, if they in the fourth or fifth round find a guy with some athleticism at, at safety who's more of a run defender, which probably is not as desirable, you know, a really solid form tackler, maybe not the fastest guy on the planet who ends up falling because of that, it's worth looking into. Because that is the other dynamic as far as linebacker, quote-unquote. The guys that are in the box, which is why that designation actually makes some sense. There are guys that play in the box, usually linebackers. A lot of times, though, it's safety. So, yeah, I want to give Will Rudman the benefit of the doubt, but I would also like to see some competition for that spot, that box safety spot. Next up, we got Mr. Oren Burks, and if you've been listening for a while, you know I've been kind of low on Oren Burks ever since we got him. Ever since we drafted him, I, I kind of was uneasy about it and then I remember in the preseason or actually may, may even been training camp I don't know but people were really high on Oren Burks anytime we get an athletic linebacker boy it doesn't matter if it's him or what's his name that was a seventh round pick Packer fans love it and I just remember he would be in coverage and somebody would catch the ball and Oren Burks would tackle him and people would be like dude did you see how fast he is it's like did you see that he gave up the completion so I I just have not been as big on that bandwagon. And as far as PFF grades, there really hasn't been any growth. They gave him a 44 overall grade in 2018 and a 45 this year. In terms of coverage, he went from a 46 to a 36. Now that's just the grades, but if you want to look at, um, he spent 43 snaps in coverage, 5 targets, 3 receptions for 66 yards, 42 yards after the catch. 104.2 completion percentage, no touchdowns, but no interceptions or pass breakups. I just see Oren Burks as a really fast guy that isn't great against the run and is fast, but isn't actually good in coverage. And by fast, I'm talking 4.59, which is, you know, decent, but it's he's not exactly blazing fast. So, I mean, it, it, you know, the tools are there. Can he take a step? Yes. Do I expect him to? I just really don't. I hope he does. And really, he could be the answer to that question. Well, what about Oren to be that guy? That guy next to Kirksey who's the fat... I understand that's what he's supposed to be. I'm just saying I don't see it. I haven't seen it. And I think Oren is one of those guys that he'll flash, right? He'll have a really good game. He'll have some really good tackles where you'll see him just fly off the ball, shoot a gap, and smoke somebody in the back of the field, something Blake was never really able to do because he didn't have that level of athleticism. Oren will do that, and then everyone will hit me up like, oh, what's up? I thought Oren was no good because he has he ha- he's a great highlight reel guy, but he also has those plays that are just terrible. And that's the thing. You have guys that'll that'll flash. But the question is, what are you doing play to play, down to down? You'll see these big runs, and you don't necessarily think to blame Oren Burke, not realizing that his lack of assignment, readiness, whatever the phrase you want to use, I don't care, is, is problematic. 
his lack of strength and ability to get off of blocks, right? I mean, it's cool that you get a fast guy that can shoot a gap and tackle somebody. That's very cool. But he, he's got a, the point is he has a lot of developing to do. It's not just a single thing for me. He's not very good at much of anything, in my opinion. And so I really, really hope he can develop because that would be a massive piece for this defense. If, if Oren was the solution, this is just this is automatically a phenomenal defense, especially with his skill set because he is the prototypical NFL linebacker. The problem is he's just not good enough in pretty much every category. So he needs to slightly improve everywhere. If he can do that, phenomenal. But I, it's just for some reason, I'm just not, I just don't think so. Maybe, I just, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm just not doing it. However, I do love when guys step up and defend their guys. So if you're a big Oren guy, shout out in the, uh, get it up in the Facebook group and let me know. We'll have to get some kind of a gentleman's wager on some of this stuff. Just in general, get in the Facebook group. Tell me which guys you like and don't like. Because we got one more, and I want to slide that in there. All right, last one, because I, I don't... No, we'll do offense tomorrow. How about that? Montrevious Adams. Not everybody's favorite guy. Uh, a lot of people really, really liked him. It was pretty obvious to see why. Unbelievably athletic. 6'4", 304, ran a 4'8", Third-round pick, right? So generally, I feel like the Packers are really bad with third-round pick. I don't know what it is. You get excited because you know the third round is still a solid round. It's it's the fourth round is when you get a general drop-off. But the Packers just struggle, man. That's why I'm worried about Jace. I believe in him, but I'm just worried. He's a, He's got that third-round Packers curse. I'm actually going to look at that right. Who was the last stud third-round pick that the Packers had? Morgan Burnett. There you go. 2010, Morgan Burnett in the third round. Other than that, our best third-round player might have either been Kyler Fackrell or Richard Rodgers. That, that's pretty much it. Not not a great uh not a great round for the Packers but Montrevious has completed three years now um he's still not being given a lot of attempts which is problematic because you would expect at this point for him to be stepping up especially when again we have an undrafted free agent as our number three as 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 the third guy he's that other guy is an undrafted free agent this is Montrevious's third round third year and he played 206 total snaps beyond that he's supposed to be better at being a pass rusher and he I mean it's true he's not good against the run. He's pretty terrible. The problem is he's not good against as a pass rusher either. I mean, he's really actually pretty terrible. 122 attempts, two pressures. That's pass rush attempts. We're talking 1.6%. You've got 340-pound nose tackles that are much better. They're getting 5%, and 5% is terrible. He's getting 1%. One time out of 100, he's able to generate pressure. I guess you could round up to 2 if you want, 1.6-something. But, I mean, that's, that's really, really abysmally bad. And it's hard to give him any credit because it's his third year. And the, the biggest problem was he in, in 2017, he was in the 40s was his overall grade. 2018, he went up to 69. So he took a jump, and it's like, man, if he takes another step in the third year, this is going to be great. He had six pressures out of 117, which is, you know, roughly 6%, I guess, which is still not good. But, again, he takes another step. Plus, he was decent against the run. This year, garbage again. They gave him a 36 overall grade against the run. And again, a, a 1.6 pass rush rate, which is about as bad as I've ever seen in my life. This is ugly. And I, I just I just don't see a guy being this bad for three years taking a step in year four. And, he, and, and the problem is he might take a step, but he needs to take about seven steps. So, I mean, th- th- this is definitely it. But it kind of goes, again, to speak to that defensive tap. We, we got to have somebody step up. And if nobody's going to step up, we're going to have to draft. But I'm, I'm kind of taking getting a little tired of taking all these swings. And, and we're talking about third round. These aren't nothing swings. So I guess similar to, to Oren Burks, I'm just not in on Montrevious Adams. 
I would actually say I'm probably a little bit higher on Oren just because he's had one less year and a significant amount less opportunities. And so maybe you limit or you bring Oren on on a more full-time thing. Maybe he starts to step it up. I don't know. But Montrevious, I just, I don't think there's anything there. I, I would say Kingsley Kiki, there's a much better chance of him becoming something. I mean, Tyler Lancaster, who is an undrafted free agent, who is strictly there to stop the run and has no ability to rush the passer, is at 2.6%, which is really, really terrible. I mean, that is that is abysmally horrible. And Montrevious gets about half of that. So I, I just... I don't know. I don't know what he needs to do, but it it, it needs to be drastic. And he, this is his last year to do something drastic. So, anyways, that's it. We're doing def. Uh, we'll do offense tomorrow. I, I knew this was going to take a long time, and I'm kind of glad about it. Point is, there's a lot of football players that play for the Packers. It's not just Zadarius and Kenny and Amos and da 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 da. And the question is, can any of these guys take a step? Because if not, then yeah, we're we're kind of left in that spot where. We better draft these guys, and they better be really good or we're in trouble. But if we can get just, like, two of the... If Chandon Sullivan can step up and be a, a great... I shouldn't say great. That's unfair to even put that on him. If he can be a good football player. If Kingsley Kiki could just step up and be better than Tyler Lancaster, I think that could be huge. You know, if Rashawn could take a significant step. I know we have Preston, but, I mean, that would just... That, that could be massive. Especially if we're kicking guys inside like Zadarius, and we got Preston and Rashawn being a dynamic pass rusher and Zadarius on the inside. Oh, so something to keep in mind. So anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. We'll talk to you tomorrow.